A group of scientists have declared that wealthy people are responsible for the most environmental impacts and therefore hold the key to creating a safer planet for all. Uh, this in a recent study. Now, we've known that human activity has been uh, causing profound changes in the life-sustaining functions of the planet. But if being affluent is a culprit of this, does this mean we need to shift our thinking from obsessing over bottom lines, profits, and economic growth to aiming for uh, perhaps a bit of a degrowth and um, maybe a more radical eco-socialism to ensure our survival. This is an interesting uh, discussion to have, and we're very pleased to aid us in this uh, discussion. Professor Tommy Weedman, Integrated Sustainable Assessment and Environmental Footprint Analysis Expert at the School of Civil and en- uh, Environmental Engineering at uh, UNSW in Sydney, Australia. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning to you, sir. Thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, first, Could you share with us the key findings of your uh, recent research published in uh, Nature Communications? It was entitled, Scientists' Warning on Affluence. Okay, Uh, thank you for the introduction. Yes, so in this paper, we found that affluence, so economic growth in general, but affluence in particular is a very strong driver of environmental impacts, as you have already said. Um, So environmental impacts, uh, when you look at greenhouse gas emissions or water and air pollution or biodiversity loss, then generally there are three factors that play a role. One is population growth. One is technology that can help us reducing impacts. And then the third one is affluence. And of these three factors, affluence is by far the strongest upward driver. So population growth is uh, driving up as well, but not as much. Affluence is much, much stronger. And technology brings it down, but um, because we are consuming more and more, we eat up all these improvements that we can make with technology. So this was the main finding, and we thought, well, okay, let's look at what are the suggestions that people are making um, in the literature, in the scientific literature, what are the suggestions, how that could be tackled. So... Um, the top 10% of all income earners in the world are responsible for 25 to 43% of um, the main environmental impacts. So that was really the main finding here. Yeah, it's interesting because this study is really widely encompassing, including elements of sociology, anthropology, economics. Uh, what, what led you, um, as a scientist, uh, to study the impact of wealth and economy on the environment? Yes, I'm an environmental scientist, so um, at first glance, maybe it's uh, not uh, straightforward to think about economics Mm. and, you know, and and social uh, issues. But um, about three years ago, there was a very important study that was published by an international team of researchers, uh, and it was called Scientists' Warning to Humanity. And it described in very stark terms that all our important life support systems on Earth are deteriorating very rapidly. So the climate is warming, air and water are polluted, forests are being destroyed at an unprecedented rate, insects are declining, coral reefs are dying, and all of this. But um, it struck me, uh, and the paper was very influential, you know, 13,000 scientists in the world signed up to it and supported it. 
So it was really a big warning, but it didn't say anything about where um, these impacts are coming from, where what the drivers is of that. So a few colleagues and I, we thought we should really look into, you know, why is, is that actually happening? So we know the situation is bad, but what can we do about it? And we wanted to look at possible solutions as well. So that that's how the idea was born to write this paper. Right. And I'm sure, interestingly, uh, you have gotten um, uh, debates uh, from all corners of society, including maybe aspects of uh, the economics of it, the uh, societal aspects of it, the the moral aspects of all this. Uh, Maybe you can help rebut some of these um, counter arguments. What would you say, Professor, then to people who argue that um, we need to have this sort of freewheeling capitalistic society because uh, we can have these uh, brilliant people like Elon Musk and uh, all of these uh, so-called tech gurus that uh, achieve these innovative technological advancements. And those Mm. things, those uh, brilliant geniuses and their achievements are the key to solving all these existential environmental problems that you're citing. Yes, that's really a very interesting question. So I would say technology is one key, but it is not the only one. So there's no doubt that we will need some really good technology, um, such as renewable energy from solar or wind or renewable fuels such as hydrogen or ammonia uh, to replace the fossil fuels that we are currently burning and so on. So this, this is needed. It will help us to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But uh, technology alone will not be able to solve all of our problems because um, if we at the same time continue to consume more and more, then at least in the past we have seen that all the technological improvements were simply wiped out by more affluence and more consumption. So we we have reduced, you know, um, cars have become more efficient and appliances, but we have just used more and more. Um, so we do need um, we do need uh, several factors here. We do need good technology, but at the same time, we also need to keep a cap on how much we consume. A good example is renewable energy. Um, a recent study showed that um, with new renewable energy projects, you can create um, almost three times more jobs than with new fossil fuel projects. Mm. So there is really a big change in here. You can create more jobs by switching, but you can also, you you know, you don't necessarily need to have the same level um, of of increased energy. You you can um, reduce a bit less, uh, sorry, increase a bit less, but still um, produce more jobs. So there's not necessarily a conflict. It's just um, that we need to get the priorities right. Right, and certainly there is a sensitivity among that class of uh, people, whether we're talking about Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, who I'm I'm sure Amazon does a lot of things uh, technologically, but uh, for the most part you think, well, uh, the easy uh, convenience of being able to order toilet paper from anywhere in the world uh, and and, and the resulting um, multiple billions and billions of dollars of wealth generated by these people like uh, uh, Bezos or Zuckerberg or or uh, Musk, um, affluence. That's, that's been um, a long-considered sort of ultimate idealized goal for human beings, especially if you live in a so-called capitalistic uh, mm-hmm. society. So uh, would you say that um, a lot of people who aspire to those uh, kind of grand delusions of wealth, that we need to change the way that we think about affluence? 
Absolutely. I think that's actually the key message from our paper, that we, we want people to think about um, affluence and look at it really critically and see, is it really a good thing? You know, in the modern world, basically since World War II, and mostly in Western societies maybe, we have been made to believe that being rich is a good thing, that we should aspire to it, that it gives us a good status, a satisfaction and happiness. But we clearly show um, in the paper that um, uh, being, you know, this, this extreme affluence, this, um, at, at the extreme end, it's a really high overconsumption. And there's a lot of inequality. So it's actually bad in several aspects. It's bad for the environment, as we have shown. But it, it is also bad for um, social cohesion um, because it increases inequality. And it means um, that uh, the more inequality you have, the more social problems you get. So being, being really rich is neither good for the environment nor, nor socially, not, not, not for the planet and not for social stability. Um, we have, but we have been trained, you know, to consume um, very clearly. That was the key message, and econ economies need to grow. That was the other key message um, because, because we, we need to create more jobs. But because we increase labor productivity all the time, it, it's always a, a catch-up game. Mm. And um, we need to ask ourselves, do we really need all of what we, what we consume daily? You know, this is, um, it's always a bit of a catch-up game. Um, we talk about this in the paper and we call this positional consumption, which means that everyone compares themselves to their neighbors, to right. their friends, to their colleagues. And we, we always have the feeling we need to catch up. Um, because if, if my neighbor buys a car, then I have the feeling I need to have a car as well. But maybe um, if I live in a city, maybe I don't really need it. But, um, but the mantra has been there, and, and it's very pers persuasive, and the you know, advertising industry is very effective, and, 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 and that's why all of this is happening. Um, Professor Tim Jackson from the University of Surrey in the UK put this, very, this problem very nicely once when he said, we buy things that we don't really need with money that we don't have to create impressions that mm. won't last on people we don't really care about. Yeah, yeah, very good points indeed. Now, I, I'm, I'm sure that uh, we can debunk the uh, straw man argument against you that you do not advocate that we're going to put 7 billion people into communes or gulags in Siberia, and that's going to be the uh, solution no. to all of this. What can we do, though, to, to, in the short term as well as the long term, so individually and on a structural level, that we can have a sustainable environment? Yes, you're right. So, so we, we won't go back to the Stone Age, that's clear. <laughs> and no, communes is not the answer. That's very clear as well. So um, there's, there's several things that um, individuals can do uh, something, but also, as you allude to, we need a structural change as well. So um, first of all, you, uh, studies have shown that you can actually find some sort of middle ground that allows to give um, every person on the planet a decent life, so enough, you know, enough all, uh, all the basic needs fulfilled and, and, and no poverty. Um, and at the same time, um, still stay within our planetary, uh, planetary and ecological limits. So, so it, it, it is possible. It's just um, a matter of um, distribution um, of resources and efficient use of resources and setting the priorities right. So um, maybe I'll 
start very quickly with the with the government level. There have been um, you know uh, several proposals uh, into which we look in in the um, in the paper, and they include um, obviously um, taxation and investment policies. Taxation, um, as you as you know, maybe from the discussion in the U.S., for example, um, can be used to redistribute wealth. So you can mm. tax the, the wealthy more, so that they you know uh, maybe consume a bit less. You can use that money to invest in green energy, for example. So um, so that's a possibility. Um, you can um, you can even go further and, and guarantee a, something like a basic income. Um, so so to reduce the inequality gap. Um, so you actually help the poor um, as well as make sure that there is no overconsumption on the wealthy side. Um, so with these policies, things can be steered. And uh, what is important is that we we get away from uh, looking at economic growth as our only indicator of well-being. Um, there are some good examples. Mm. Um, three um, governments in the world, um, New Zealand, uh, Iceland and Scotland um, have uh, decided that um, they are not using GDP as an, a main indicator for right. um, economic well-being any longer. Um, and they have they pursue something uh, they are called the well-being economy now. Uh, and so they just set different priorities, stronger environmental right. and social policy. And then whether the economy economy grows or not is actually not um, really okay. relevant anymore as long as all the other uh, targets are met. Well, uh, you've given us some important things to uh, think about, Professor, and we thank you for your time and, and appreciate uh, these insights. Uh, uh, good luck, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you.